0: It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. I have been out in California all week and have not had time to do a podcast until this afternoon. So I apologize to those of you who have been waiting for a podcast all week and they're having to wait until a Friday to finally get one. But we did have an interesting day in the foreign exchange markets today. The dollar sold off, the dollar index closed at its weakest level of the year. I think the last I saw is about 92.54 on the dollar index. The low trade 92.42 on uh, the intraday. The euro, which of course is the biggest currency in the dollar index, closed at 1.19 and a quarter. This is the highest price in a couple of years. But it's not just euro strength. This is across the board U.S. dollar weakness. And remember, I talked about this on my podcast. But the most crowded trade when this year began was long the U.S. dollar. Everybody was long the dollar. They were short every currency under the planet. And all of those currencies are rising. This is the weakest the dollar has started a year since 1985. The mainstream on Wall Street couldn't have been more wrong if they tried. And again, remember, the most crowded trade a year earlier was short gold when gold was at the absolute low. Now, today, gold was up, but it was only up about five bucks. So in terms of the euro and the Aussie dollar and most currencies, gold actually lost value today. It didn't gain it. But interestingly, you know, Janet Yellen spoke today and basically said nothing, right? She didn't give any indication as to what the Fed may or may not do about anything. But the dollar tanked anyway. Now, maybe the dollar tanked because she didn't say something hawkish, but she didn't say anything dovish because she didn't say anything at all. So I guess the dollar just continued on its trend. Now, right before she spoke, somebody came in and dumped a bunch of gold on the market. All of a sudden, for no reason, gold was up about 5 bucks before Yellen spoke. And then before she said her first word, it dropped $10. All of a sudden, someone dumped a bunch of gold, and then gold was only able to get back to where it was before she spoke. Now, maybe had that big sell order not come through earlier in the morning, maybe gold would have been up around 1300, which I think is the real resistant level. And I guess for now, as long as gold is below 1300, people think it has limited upside. And so that is diminishing its appeal. You know, that's why the gold stocks are barely moving here because gold traders are assuming that gold's going to tank any minute because everybody knows that 1300 is resistance. So if you're at 1291, you don't have much upside, whereas there's a lot of downside. But I actually think there's minimal downside here. I don't think there's a lot of risk for the gold price to go down. Every time someone tries to knock it down, it doesn't go down. And basically, we're, there's less and less distance between the floor and the ceiling. And eventually, we're going to break through that ceiling. It's, there's all this overhead pressure at 1300 but the buying keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, so the support keeps getting closer and closer to 1300 and eventually of course it's a tiny little range and the buying is going to overwhelm the selling in fact you know i mentioned a few weeks back that i was going to reach out to jeff Gundalak on my trip to california because you know he lives in la and he has double line uh, asset management and so i had reached out to him and uh, he called me back and was gracious enough to invite me to his beautiful home uh, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. So I spent a couple of hours uh, with Jeff talking about the markets and drinking martinis and eating cheese. And, you know, he was very gracious, very down-to-earth guy, uh, especially considering, you know, the position that he has and the success and the wealth that he's achieved. And, you know, he's probably even more passionate about his art than he is about the markets and, and the economy. But, you know, we mainly spoke about, uh, you know, life and, and the markets. You know, he showed me his art, uh, and he has some very, very important pieces there, very impressive pieces. I don't have a lot of knowledge uh, when it comes to the art world, uh, but uh, certainly can relate more in terms of his understanding of, of the macro picture and the economy. And one of the things that he told me about, about gold is that he believes that as soon as we close above 1300 the very next day. We could see a hundred dollar move up in the price of gold in a single day. He really thinks that level is key. And, you know, I agree when you look at it. I don't know if it was a little bit higher. I thought, you know, maybe it's 1350, but he was pretty clear with me and he said, no, 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 no. I think it's 1300. I think that is the key level. And usually I'm pretty good with levels and I'm going to take him at his word because he seems to be pretty good uh, at a lot of things. And so, 1300, a key level. And we're getting closer and closer and closer. And once we get above it, I think it's Katie bar the door. In fact, I think that's exactly the, the term that he used when he described it to me. And so I agree uh, in, in, in that respect. And remember, you know, when I first uh, started talking about Jeff Gundelock on, on the podcast, because I saw that he was uh, paying attention to it, it was because I talked about his talk at at uh, the SALT conference where he was very bearish on the dollar and bullish on emerging markets, another good call uh, for Gundelach. But you know, I said that he wasn't bearish enough on the dollar. I said, the only criticism I have of Gundelach is that he wasn't bearish enough. And I still think that he's not bearish enough. He thinks the dollar index is going down to 88, which is still, you know, it's 92 and a half. 88 is still a ways to go. But I still believe that the dollar is going to go a lot lower uh, than even Gundlach believes, but at least he believes it's going lower. At least he wasn't part of the consensus that was so completely wrong and was betting the dollar was going to go the other way. Now, obviously, some of those people are now starting to turn around and sell the dollar. Uh, But again, even the dollar bears, I believe, do not understand just how low this currency is going to go, how much downside risk there is to the U.S. dollar, particularly when the economic narrative changes. I mean, the markets are still oblivious. We got more bad economic news, especially the hard data, continues to get weak. And everybody is saying when the Atlanta Fed is still looking, I think, for 3.4 percent GDP growth in the third quarter. And, you know, nobody cares. Meanwhile, you know, the Trump trade uh, should be unraveling in that we're not getting The repeal of Obamacare. We're not getting massive deregulation. We're not getting substantive pro growth tax reform. I mean, maybe we'll get some deficit busting tax cuts at some point, but those aren't even assured. And, you know, Trump seems to be in a position where he even has less ability uh, to deliver on that hope than when, you know, the election first happened. Yet the markets are not acknowledging this, the markets are not paying attention to this. The Dow is up another 30 points today. I mean, it's not at a record high for the year. In fact, year to date, gold is still beating the stock market. For the fact that you know nobody is talking about gold, it's still beating uh, the U.S. stock market this year. And I think it would be beating it by a much wider margin uh, if we didn't have all this overhead resistance around 1300 But again, once it gives way, I think gold has got a lot of catching up to do but even more so than gold, are going to be the miners. I think these mining stocks, if you think it's going to be Katie bar the door when it comes to the the metal, imagine what you're going to have to do to that door when it comes to the stocks, because these things are really going to stampede. They have so much lost ground to recover, let alone then catch up to where gold is going to be. So, I mean, if you're not in these stocks, I mean, believe me, you should be loading a boat on these things. I mean, yes, there's risk, so don't buy gold stocks. If you're not willing to watch them go down, uh, but you know, I don't think they're going down. I think they're going way up, and so I am willing to accept that risk, and I think anybody uh, who is willing to accept risk, this is one of the best risk-reward trades I think is out there, is in the gold sector, gold mining sector particularly. You know, Also, while I'm out here in uh, California, I did the Joe Rogan uh, experience podcast, and many of you may have already listened to that. I mean, Joe Rogan, I did his show originally about three years ago, and the popularity of that podcast has really exploded, you know, since he first did it, and he was popular back then, and so he's even more popular now, so a lot of people have listened to that podcast. I think Joe said about maybe a quarter or a fifth of his audience is on YouTube. The rest of it is on the podcast and I can see the numbers. There's about 600,000 people have watched the YouTube and that means a couple of million uh, have already listened to it on, you know, just listened to the, to the podcast. So that's a lot more people than normally get to hear what I have to say. And I got to speak for three hours and of course, you know, I ended up hogging most of the mic. I know it was his show, but I did almost all of the talking Uh, You know, if you look at the video, the YouTube video, you'll see that I've got a tremendous amount of either thumbs up or thumbs down relative to the number of people who have seen it. Because I looked at some of his other podcasts and he normally doesn't get anywhere near as many thumbs down. I mean, I I could have set the record here in thumbs down. I mean, you don't normally get this many thumbs down, but I got more than three times the number of thumbs up. And I looked at the other videos that have about the same number of views or proportionately I looked at it. And so a lot more people are giving me a thumbs up relative to the number of people that normally thumbs up one of his videos. But I'm also getting much more in the way of thumbs down than is normally the case. Obviously, that means that what I'm saying is very controversial and people either really like what I have to say because they seldom hear it and they want to give me the thumbs up. Or they're completely turned off by it. They hate me completely, and I want to make sure that I know it, and they want to give me the thumbs down. And in fact, if you read the comments, and I would suggest, you know, checking out, check it out so you can see what people think. But a lot of people there are attacking me because I'm mean, because I'm heartless, because I, I don't care. This is the typical liberal reaction when somebody disagrees with the liberal agenda, when somebody disagrees with... Something that the liberals are trying to do. I mean, like the topic of the minimum wage comes up. And, of course, I think we should abolish it. But the typical liberal, you know, when somebody wants to get rid of the minimum wage, oh, this person is out of touch. He doesn't understand. He's heartless. He's not caring. And they get so upset at me because they think I'm I'm a really bad guy. After all, only a really bad guy would want poor people to earn less money. Only a really bad guy would want to exploit people by paying them real low wages, as if that's what I'm trying to do. And it doesn't dawn on the liberals for a moment to actually think about why I'm against the minimum wage. It's not that I'm against people earning money. I'm against mandated unemployment. I'm against the government preventing people from acquiring skills that would enable them to earn a lot more than the minimum wage in the future. you know, liberals never want to think anything out. It's all about how it feels. Do I feel good about myself because I support this? Damn the consequences, right? Who actually cares about the, the consequences of this law? Just so long as I can feel good about myself because I supported it. And I'm going to feel good about myself or I'm going to feel morally superior to anybody who doesn't support it. And, you know, I, I did talk about that, but I, apparently it goes right over their head. Because when I encounter a liberal right? I don't necessarily think that they're bad people. If they support the minimum wage, I don't think it's because they're they're mean, because I don't even think most of them realize how much harm the minimum wage is doing. That's why I try to educate liberals to understand the consequences and that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And who, it doesn't matter if you have all these good intentions if they lead you to hell. And so I try to get them to understand that if you really want the ends to reflect your means. If you if you want to pave a road that goes to someplace pleasant, then you've got to change the what you're doing. You got to look for a, a different solution to the problem. I mean, we all care about people. We all want people's lives to be better. It's just that I recognize that the things that liberals want to do are going to backfire. But they are unwilling to even assume for a minute that they're wrong. And, and, and that there could be any rational reason to object to what they want to do. And so then the only thing is you must, be, uh, you must be mean. You must be a bad person. And that's why you've got all these thumbs down. And that's why you've got all the people leaving the comments that they are leaving. You know, on the topic of the minimum wage, and I, I, you know, we didn't get into this on the podcast, but I read earlier this week That in Seattle, they now have a movement and it's probably going to pass and it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but they want to apply the $15 minimum wage, which is coming to Seattle. They want to apply that to people with disabilities, because right now people with disabilities are exempt from the minimum wage. They're exempt from the federal minimum wage, too. You know, this is the item that got me into so much hot water when I I did the uh, The Daily Show. Because I tried to point out that you know people that uh, are disabled earn less than the minimum wage. And they tried to make me into a, into a horrible, mean person because they thought I was advocating that we pay disabled people less than the minimum wage. I wasn't advocating it. I was just stating it as a matter of fact. And I was trying to explain the rationale for why it's done. But apparently, the people in Seattle don't even understand the rationale. They want to force... Uh, the disabled, or people who hire the disabled, to pay them the minimum wage. And the title of the article, I put it up on my Facebook page, is that they said we need to protect the disabled too. The minimum wage protection needs to be extended to the to the disabled. It's not protection. Basically the exemption is what is protecting the disabled from the minimum wage. The minimum wage is like a weapon, and right now the disabled are shielded from that weapon. And that means they're able to get jobs. The minimum wage is not putting disabled people out of work. It is not preventing the disabled people from getting jobs only because they have been given an exemption. But if Seattle takes away that exemption, then they take away the protection, and now they will be damaged. They will be destroyed by the minimum wage, which is really like a weapon. And the crazy part about this article, and the writer didn't even notice it. The article pointed out that people with disabilities, on average, are 80% less productive than people that don't have disabilities. 80% less productive. And the way you get around the minimum wage, and this is there's a formula. So if you want to pay somebody less than the minimum wage, somebody has to test that person and compare their productivity to somebody that doesn't have the disability. So, for example, let's just say I'm hiring people You know, and and they're sorting widgets, right? That's what they're doing. And the widget is just a name for a product. It's a fictitious product, but it just could be anything. But it's what you use in economics if you've never heard the term widgets. But let's say I'm hiring people to sort widgets. And if a person without a disability can sort 10 widgets a minute, if a person with a disability can only sort two widgets a minute, Well, that means I'm gonna have to hire five people with disabilities to do exactly what one person could do without a disability. Now, if you let me pay the the disabled people, you know, 20% of what I pay a able-bodied person, so let's say the minimum wage were $10 an hour, if I had to pay a person without a disability $10 an hour, or if I had to pay five disabled people $2 an hour, well, to me as an employer, it's the same thing. I get the exact same productivity because one uh, person without a disability can sort 10 widgets an hour, but five people with a disability can also sort 10 widgets per hour. So I can either pay one guy $10 an hour or five people $2 an hour. So the employer is indifferent. But if you now tell the employer, wait a minute, you can't adjust uh, the wage for productivity. You can't exploit those uh, people with disabilities, this is horrible. You've got to pay those people with disabilities $10 an hour. You've got to pay them exactly the same as what you're paying the guy without the disability. Well, if that's the case, and now I have a choice, I can either hire one person without a disability, and it's going to cost me $10 an hour, or I can hire five people with a disability, and it's going to cost me $50 an hour, what employer in their right mind is going to throw away $40 an hour for no reason? See, without the minimum wage, it was going to cost me $10 an hour either way. But if the choice is between $10 an hour and $50 an hour, well, it's obvious. I'm not going to hire those disabled workers. In fact, if I have disabled workers on the payroll, I am going to fire them. So who is going to benefit if Seattle succeeds in protecting the disabled workers You know, using the minimum wage? Who is actually going to win? It's going to be the, the non-disabled person who now gets a job. It's all the disabled people are going to be fired. They're all going to lose their jobs. I mean, this is simple math. It's amazing that liberals are not even smart enough to do that, even in it's their own article. I mean, do you really expect the employer to become a charity? I know People say, oh, it's terrible that these workers are only getting $2 an hour. Well, maybe it's terrible, but the alternative is that they get no dollars an hour because if that's their productivity, you can't expect an employer to overpay, because then he's not hiring them. Then it's just a charity. You know, he's just giving money to people. But you know, if it's gonna be an actual job, then it has to be a win-win for both people. But of course, nobody is forcing a disabled person to take a job at $2 an hour. The fact that they take it must mean they value the job more than the $2 an hour. Now, obviously, again, you're going to say, how do you support a family on $2 an hour? A disabled person who's only capable of earning $2 an hour is not supporting a family. Chances are he's being supported by his family, and he's working not for the $2 an hour, but for the self-esteem that comes from earning the $2 an hour, the personal satisfaction of being part of society, of having a purpose, of having value of having friends uh, that you work with, I mean, people look forward to these jobs, and yes, you get a little extra spending money, but these idiots, these idiot liberals in uh, Seattle, all they care about is how it looks and how they feel about themselves when they jack up the minimum wage so they can supposedly protect the disabled workers, and they're going to throw every disabled worker in Seattle out of work. Now, of course, what could happen is those same disabled workers could get jobs outside the city limits of Seattle but now they have to commute. They might have a long commute back and forth where they're going to get paid nothing. So they're actually going to end up earning even less money because they're going to have to waste a lot of time for which they're not paid anything, driving outside of uh, the limits of Seattle so that they now can get a job. I mean, what the government in Seattle is going to do, they're going to protect uh, the disabled workers from employment. That's what they're protecting them from. And so now they're going to have to go outside their grasp in order to actually get back the jobs that uh, that they lost, but again, you know, if a liberal hears you saying this, it's oh, Peter Schiff doesn't care. Peter Schiff doesn't care about the disabled. Peter Schiff wants to exploit them. No, it's because I care that I understand uh, that what the minimum wage does, and in fact, Congress exempts the mentally disabled from the minimum wage. Obviously, they recognize that without that exemption. They would be unemployed. They could never get jobs. So even even the U.S. Congress wasn't that dumb, or wasn't that heartless. Yeah, that's exactly how dumb and heartless the liberals are that are running uh, Seattle. One point that I made on the Joe Rogan podcast I want to elaborate on, and you know if you didn't listen to that podcast, go check it out. Uh, but during the podcast, I mentioned a lawsuit that was filed under the Americans with Disability Act on my friend whose house I happen to be staying at. And, you know, I didn't mention this on the podcast, but that was the third time in the week that he was sued for violations of the uh, Americans' Disability Act. And this was three separate plaintiffs, separate issues, all different lawyers, all in the same week, all on retail establishments. And the one I mentioned on the Joe Rogan Show had to do uh, with Starbucks, a lawsuit filed by a guy who came into Starbucks, and before ordering his coffee, he asked the guy, I guess behind the counter, or maybe he asked the manager. I don't remember if it spelled it out in the lawsuit, but he asked for a device that he could use to hear the music because the Starbucks was was playing music, you know, in the restaurant. I mean, just you know, there's it's for the employees too, and the customers have a little. Atmosphere, have a little music going. And he was having a hard time hearing it, apparently. So he asked for a special device that he could put into his ear that would enhance the sound so that he could enjoy the music. And the restaurant didn't have that device. And they said, Look, I'm sorry we don't have it. And the next thing you know, there's a lawsuit. Now, I don't even think this customer actually went into the Starbucks restaurant with the intention of ordering a cup of coffee nor did he care about listening to any music while he enjoyed it. He went in there to see if he could file a lawsuit. He specifically went in there to find out if they had this equipment. And if they had the equipment, he probably was just going to walk right out the door and never even order the proper coffee. But the minute he found out that they didn't have the equipment, boom, now I got a lawsuit. I'm asking for $10,000 plus attorney's fees at $450 an hour. I mean, this is an epidemic. This, they call this a drive-by lawsuit. And the guys got three of these suits in one week, and I didn't really get into the, this in particular on the podcast or as much as maybe I could have, but this is what is really undermining American businesses is all these lawsuits, all the things. It all sounds great. Oh, how could you be opposed to the Americans with Disabilities Act? I mean, are you heartless? Are you cruel? Don't you care about people with disabilities? Of course I care. But I also care about small businessmen that are trying to run a restaurant. I mean, how many restaurants play music? Do they all have to have special equipment in case somebody that's hard of hearing wants to listen to that music? And, you know, when they came there, to have some food. You know, I mean, there's music in every elevator. I mean, do you, do you have to hand out these little things to somebody if somebody wants to ride in an elevator in a, in a building? Does, 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 he, does there have to be an elevator guy there to give them special equipment so that they can enjoy that elevator music? For the 30 seconds that they're in that elevator I mean nobody bothers to have compassion for the entrepreneur for the guy that's trying to run a business all we want to do is come up with new ways for people to sue if you own a business your customers can sue you if you don't give them enough services your employees can sue you if they're not happy with the work environment or if they feel they've been discriminated against but does the employer ever get to sue anybody does he get to sue his workers does he get to sue his customers I mean this stuff is all nonsense you know If somebody is hard of hearing, then buy a hearing aid. Keep that hearing aid on. So every time you walk into a restaurant that's playing music, you've already got the hearing aid. Don't expect every restaurant to give you a different hearing aid because you happen to go into their restaurant. You do not have a right to demand this kind of service. But that's what the Americans with Disabilities Act does. I actually read the act, right? I mean, and all of this unconstitutional stuff has its roots in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the unconstitutional portions of it to try to uh, have the U.S. government uh, basically dictate private behavior and legislate what private individuals can or cannot do, because it's really not about businesses. It's about individuals who own businesses and the government telling them what to do. But what this law says is that if you provide something that people with disabilities must be able to derive the same enjoyment as people who don't have disabilities. So if I'm a restaurant, obviously anybody who comes into my restaurant can eat the food. It doesn't matter if you're hard of hearing, you can still eat the food. But if I decide that I want to enhance the experience with a little background music, now all of a sudden I have to make sure that anybody who comes in who's hard of hearing can also hear that background music. So now I've got to invest in some equipment so that I can hand it to a hard-of-hearing person who if he happens to come into my restaurant. Now, maybe somebody who's hard-of-hearing is never going to come into the restaurant. It doesn't matter. I have to make sure I have this equipment just to make sure that, that if he does. Now, of course, what the restaurateur can decide to do is say, you know what, I don't want to invest in this equipment, so I'm just not going to have any music. And if one of my customers asks me to turn on the radio, I'm going to have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do it, because if a deaf person walks in here, he won't be able to hear it. So since he won't be able to hear it, I can't let you hear it either. Well, why is that good? I mean, are deaf people really that mean? Do they want to really force people who can hear to not be able to enjoy music just because they can't hear it either? I mean, that, that is what's going on. I mentioned this on Joe Rogan with swimming pools. You have a lot of hotels that have closed down their swimming pools because they didn't have the money to make them wheelchair accessible. Now, so what good did that law do? The swimming pools are still not accessible to people in wheelchairs who happen to go to those hotels because the swimming pools have been shut down. But now the kids can't use the pools. I mean, I've never – I've been in hotels so many times I've never used the pool. And whenever I look in the pool, it's just a bunch of kids in there. Now the kids can't use the pool because they have to make it fair for the, deaf, for, the, for the people in wheelchairs. But what good is it? All you've accomplished is that now nobody can use the pool. Right? Instead of the pool being accessible to people with wheelchairs, it's still not accessible to people with wheelchairs. But now it's not accessible to anybody. I mean, this is absurd that, we, that we've been able to do this. And this started with George Bush. A Republican came up with the Americans with Disability Act. Look, you've got the Internet now. How hard would it be? If somebody is really in a wheelchair and wants to be able to take a swim in the hotel pool, how hard is it to check each hotel and just check into the one that has the wheelchair accommodation? Because believe me, if there was no requirement that hotels make their swimming pools wheelchair accessible, there would be some hotels that would make the investment in the wheelchair accessible equipment, because now they can advertise on their website, hey, our swimming pool is accessible to people in wheelchairs. Therefore, if you're in a wheelchair and you want to swim, come to my hotel. I've got you covered. I've got the services that you need, right? And that can be fine. I mean, I'm not sure how many people are in wheelchairs and who like to swim in hotel pools, but however many there are, there's not enough to justify every single hotel in the country making sure that they have a swimming pool that can be used by someone in a wheelchair. If only one out of 10 or one out of 20 hotels, that's probably more than enough. Now, I know somebody will say, well, that's not fair. People in wheelchairs should have as many choices as people who don't have wheelchairs. Why? That's nonsense. You can't impose these obligations on other people and other businesses just because you happen to have a handicap. Do I feel bad for somebody with a handicap? Sure. But I mean, don't the people with handicaps feel bad about what they're doing to people who don't have handicaps? You know I use the example on the Joe Rogan podcast of somebody with a very big foot, right? Nobody would say that somebody who has really large feet, let's say I have a size 14 or a 15 shoe nobody is going to consider that a handicap, right? Yet if I have a size 14, 15 shoe, I, I'm not going to go into a typical shoe store and expect them to have every every shoe that i like in that size. Why would they? I mean, they're not going to stock that size just on the shot that somebody with, you know, Sasquatch feet is going to happen to walk in and want to want to try on a pair. And, and and even if somebody with those huge feet comes in, all right, i'm not going to get their business cuz it's not worth the inventory. I don't want to stock all these huge shoes that only one in 10,000 people might be able to wear, right? They want to stock size 9 size 10, size 11, they want to stock the shoes that fit most people's feet, right? But there are stores, there are these big and tall stores that know that, that know that not every store is going to be able to satisfy somebody who's very large, right? So now they have these big and tall stores and I know, hey, I can go there and I'm going to get these big shoes. So you get all the people who have very big feet and they go to the same shoe store. And now that shoe store can stock enough shoes because they know hey, all the big people, they're all going to come to this shoe store. Well, the same thing would happen without the Americans with Disabilities Act. All these special services that are available to people with various handicaps would still be available. They just wouldn't be available everywhere. They would be available in specialized stores that want to cater to that business and can do it profitably. Now is it fair? that somebody who's hard of hearing can't go to any restaurant he wants to and enjoy the music? No, but life isn't fair. Just like it's not fair that somebody with big feet can't buy his shoes at every store. But of course, the person who is hard of hearing can also buy his own hearing aid and then take that everywhere he goes, right? That's what you need to do. Now, if the government wants to say, oh, it's not fair that deaf people uh, can't hear without hearing aids, and the government is going to supply them. If we're going to make a decision that deaf people shouldn't have to buy hearing aids or people who are hard of hearing, then the taxpayers should pay it, right? We should buy one hearing aid and send it to every person who needs one and have the taxpayers pay it. Don't say that every small business owner has to bear the burden alone, that if you're opening up a small business, then you're taking on this responsibility. That's not fair. Right. That's not caring. You know, it's hard enough to set up a business in this country and to be profitable and to to provide a good or a service and to create jobs. But when you put all these unnecessary responsibilities on it and you subject small businesses to all these lawsuits, is it any wonder that entrepreneurship is at a record low, that businesses are closing left and right, and that so many people can't find jobs? It's because we destroyed all the employers. And again, I've said this many times, one of the riskiest things you could do as an American is hire somebody. Because now there's all sorts of ways that they can sue you. And of course, when you have a business, there are now all sorts of ways that your customers can sue you, especially if they have some kind of uh, disability and your attempt to uh, comply with the Americans Disabilities Act is off. I mean, even if you spend money, they have people going into restaurants with, with uh, rulers to measure counter heights and to measure the grades on parking spots. And if they're off by a fraction of an inch, the next thing you know, there's a lawsuit. Right? The way to make an economy productive is not to encourage frivolous lawsuits, not to give weapons, to lawyers so that they could shake down entrepreneurs with these drive-by litigation. This is the last thing we should be doing, but of course, you know, the trial lawyers, they give a lot of money to politicians, they control this process, and so we're never going to be able to fight that lobby, and they're going to keep on undermining the U.S. economy with these ridiculous lawsuits, and these ridiculous laws, and they hide behind the compassion, right? It's all about, well, if you oppose this, well, then you don't care about people with disabilities. No politician has the guts to talk about repealing the with Disabilities Act because they're going to be labeled as cruel and heartless. And so it continues, and we continue to victimize our small businessmen and making the entire economy less productive and less efficient, all so that politicians can pretend that they care about uh, people with disabilities. Now, I know another reason, too, that I probably got a lot of thumbs down on that interview Uh, with joe rogan was the fact that we talked about bitcoin and i once again said that i was against it or i didn't believe it was going to work and of course everybody who owns any cryptocurrency wants to immediately give me a thumbs down right because i'm raining on that parade but you know i i put up a uh a link to this article that i actually read a couple of days ago but i just put it up today on facebook about uh a mcdonald's in in russia that was coming out with whopper coin and you know i talked about this stuff a while ago, and now maybe it's actually happening. But so what Whopper coin is going to be is going to be that the restaurant will issue a cryptocurrency, which will be redeemable in a Whopper. I'm not really sure what the ratio is, but so you can either use your cryptocurrency to buy a hamburger or, of course, you can. You know, you can exchange it. You can use it uh, just like any other cryptocurrency, right? You can give it to somebody else and they can give you something of value for it because ultimately they know that, well, they can at least buy a hamburger with it. And of course, this type of concept, Whoppercoin, is going to be far superior to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is backed by nothing. At least Whoppercoin is backed by a hamburger. Now, of course, if it's backed by a hamburger, how much value are you going to attribute to Whopper coin. Well, whatever a Whopper costs, I'm not even sure what a Whopper costs these days, four bucks, five bucks. I don't know. guess it depends on where you buy the Whopper, right? Because Whoppers are probably cheaper in Russia than they are in in New York or California. But the idea is at least the, the, the digital currency is backed by something real, a burger. But I mean, is backing your currency by a hamburger the best way to back it? Not really, because I mean, what if the hamburger, you know, what's on the hamburger? Is there any bacon on that hamburger? I mean, what if they change the quality? What kind of meat is on the burger? You know, is, you know, do you, you know how much is, is it got? Has it got pickles? Has it got lettuce? Has it got tomato? I mean, you can change. Burger King can change the Whopper, and so maybe the Whopper won't have as much value in the future as the Whopper has today. So it's not the greatest commodity to back your currency by. But one thing is there's lots of uh, Burger Kings. So you can redeem it. You can, you know, people can go and, and and get a burger. But if Burger King can come up with a cryptocurrency, so can McDonald's. So can Kentucky Fried Chicken. Everybody, you know, I thought what would be a perfect uh, digital currency would be airlines with their mileage, right? Because I mean, people use mileage now. I mean, you can cash in your mileage to buy a lot of things other than using it to buy a ticket, right? You could you can use mileage There's all kinds of. websites where you can shop and you can buy things and you spend your mileage, your United points or your American points. So why doesn't American just convert all their points into a new cryptocurrency that they could give all all their loyal flyers? And now, you know, you can either use your cryptocurrency to upgrade your flight or get a free ticket, or you can go out and buy something. You could trade it. Now, of course, what would happen if, you know, some of these uh, cryptocurrencies that were issued by the airline just skyrocketed in price like Bitcoin. Well, then obviously nobody would just use them. Uh, you know, you wouldn't use twenty-five thousand of them to, you know, buy a, a round-trip coach ticket. Uh, you would use it for something else. But obviously, if people were thinking, that would put a limit to the value of that currency because ultimately the value would be well, what does it cost me to buy a ticket? What does it cost me to upgrade a ticket? And that would be the intrinsic value of the the you know the cryptocurrency that was backed by you know an airline but again the problem there is the airlines change i mean maybe it costs 25000 points to to buy a ticket today but it might be 35000 i mean they constantly devalue right airlines always do that you know they have these mileage programs and then you need more and more mileage to actually buy a ticket or get an upgrade and then you know of course they start putting restrictions Yes, you can buy an upgrade, but you know there's a lot of time where the upgrade is not valid, or they only have a few seats on each flight where you can use your mileage, and then they sell out. And then, well, these other seats, you, know, you can't use mileage, or you need even more mileage to buy these seats. So obviously, you can't rely on that. But the point is that anybody can launch a cryptocurrency, and a cryptocurrency backed by anything is better than a cryptocurrency backed by nothing, which, of course, is what what Bitcoin is, you know, and I was looking again at some of the, the, the comments on my Facebook page and somebody put in, well, he said, well, Bitcoin has a lot of value because it's very expensive to create one, that you have to spend a lot of energy to create a Bitcoin. And, well, who cares how much energy it takes to create it? What have you created at the end of the day? You've created nothing. It's not like I can release that energy. It's not like the energy that you use to create a Bitcoin is somehow stored in that Bitcoin, and I could just release it and use it you know, to power my car. right? I, you can't do anything with the energy. You've wasted it. Yes, you need energy to mine gold, but once you expend that energy, you now have gold. Gold has value. Gold, you can do things. You have a very valuable metal. So the energy wasn't wasted. It was used to produce a valuable metal. But when you use energy to produce Bitcoin, you've used energy to produce nothing. You have nothing. You know, that's the point. Yes, do people value Bitcoin? Yeah, they do, right? But are they going to value it in the future? Probably not. How much time between now and then? I don't know. You know, the coins have rallied again. They got up, you know, near the highs again, up near 4,500. I was reading more about uh, more hype around a Bitcoin ETF, which of course is a complete waste. I mean, if you're going to argue that Bitcoin is there to be money, why put it in an ETF? I mean, clearly it's not going to be used as money if it's just part of an ETF. It's just another way of speculating because nobody is going to use the Bitcoins that are held in an ETF as money. They're just speculating that the price is going to keep rising. So that is probably pushing it up. Also, I, wrote, I read an article a few days ago that Mark Cuban who had been previously talking negatively about Bitcoin and calling it a bubble, now was trying to launch a crypto fund to invest in the blockchain or invest in cryptocurrencies. So now that is all hyping it up, and people are starting to think about, well, all this money is going to come in. Yes, if all this money comes in to buy cryptocurrencies, right, well, that's more demand, more speculative demand for people who want to make a bet that the price is going to go up. But it's not people wanting to use the cryptocurrencies as money. In fact, what I'm finding from people now is the process to actually buy and sell is taking longer and longer. And the cost to actually use the coins is going up so much. It's a lot more expensive now than it was a few years ago. You know, I remember initially they used to say, oh, it's so much cheaper to use Bitcoin. The transaction costs are lower than if you use Visa or MasterCard. Well, now they're higher. You know, because apparently, you know, with all, the, with all the extra transactions, it's running up the cost of actually attempting to use it. So it's failing on all the accounts that it was supposedly hyped up on. Yet the price continues to go up and up and up as more and more people want to speculate. Now, I also have a speculation on gold because I said Gundelach thought that if we break out above 1300 the price of gold is really going to move up. I think another thing is going to happen. I've been saying this. I think that the crypto bubble could be pricked by a golden pin. I think that as long as people perceive that gold is capped at 1300 that does increase the appeal, the speculative appeal of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for people who think they're buying it instead of gold. They're buying it as a proxy for gold, as a new safe haven, as gold 2.0. After all, gold can't go up. It's, you know gold is being manipulated whereas you know no one's manipulating the cryptocurrencies which again I don't believe I think there are a lot of people I think there are a lot of people who got in early who paint the tape who who manipulate the trades who have invested interest in pumping this thing up so I think there is trading going on in cryptocurrencies that probably couldn't go on in the stock market but I think there is some manipulation in this market but I don't think it has anything to do with the government but the people who think that the government or the powers that be Are manipulating gold and therefore there's no upside and they're buying cryptocurrencies instead i think if gold really breaks out above 1300 all of a sudden people are going to say wait a minute this is a whole new bull market there's a lot of upside and that's going to take away some of the demand from the cryptocurrencies because now people will will want to buy real gold hey why do i need to buy digital gold when the real thing is finally breaking out and i do think some of the people who are already in the cryptos who've had a good ride right now they're going to look at gold because there are a lot of gold bugs that are probably in the cryptocurrencies. And once they see gold breaking out and they see some upside potential in gold, even relative to cryptocurrencies, and people want to say, you know, let me take some of my Bitcoin, some of my huge gains that I have in Bitcoin, and let me buy some gold because now that it's above 1300 maybe it's going to run the $1,900. we have got a lot of upside potential. Maybe we're peaking out a little bit, even in the short run in, in Bitcoin. Hey, let me take some profits. I can always buy the Bitcoin back later on. Let me take some profits. So you get some money trying to shift out of Bitcoin into gold and you lose some of the new money that had been going into Bitcoin if it goes into gold instead. I don't think it takes a little to, to produce a huge decline in the price, given the actual volume that trades on a daily basis relative to the total market cap. So. You know, if you are, you know, in a bunch of cryptocurrencies and you think that gold breaking out is going to be bullish for cryptocurrencies because you think that, you know, it's just going to trade in the same way or it's going to be an indication of a breakdown in fiat currencies and, and therefore it's going to be even more bullish uh, for the cryptos. I think if you're in cryptocurrencies, probably the worst thing that can happen is a breakout in the price of gold, because that will put the spotlight back on real gold and away from fool's gold. And as people try to convert their crypto gains into real gold, you have a lot of people try to do the same thing at once, even if it's only 5% of the cryptos that want to go into gold. And I would argue, too, that the typical crypto buyer is probably more interested in gold than the person who's not buying cryptocurrencies, because at least some of the people buying cryptocurrencies know enough to be skeptical of the dollar and skeptical of the euro and be worried about Uh, central banks. They were just frustrated because the price of gold wasn't going up, yet they saw the cryptocurrencies were. So instead of buying gold, they started buying those cryptos. But if they see that gold's going up, my bet would be that people who have cryptocurrencies are more likely to want to buy gold than the people who don't have cryptocurrencies. And the people who have cryptocurrencies and who've had them for a long time, they have a lot of money to buy gold, at least if they're able to sell and extract that money and use it to buy gold. So I think, as I said, that, you know, the gold breakout, is, I think, will be more of a bearish sign for the cryptos than a reason to buy even more. We'll see. Time will tell. Potentially not too much more time because this, you know, this uh, coiled spring is 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 under a lot of pressure, and I can see the bids coming in. I can see the channel getting narrower and narrower. So I think that this breakout is obviously a lot closer now than it was a while ago. There are a lot of people looking at it, a lot of people looking at 1300 The powers that be, whatever they are, or the shorts are obviously trying to contain it, but I do believe that the buying is going to overwhelm it, especially if the dollar continues to fall, continues to stay on its current trajectory. And I said this before, if the dollar is this weak, with everybody expecting rate hikes, with everybody expecting quantitative tightening, imagine how much weaker it's going to be when instead of rate hikes, we ultimately get rate cuts. And instead of quantitative tightening, we get a brand new round of quantitative easing.